good and gracious God, we are beyond thankful that we get to gather in this place of worship, that we get to gather together as one body, that we get to love on each other and encourage one another. But in that encouragement, we also get to hear the faithful word of God that will never fail, that is infallible and inerrant and uplifting in every single way. And that does not change, even as we open our Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 1. Lord, would you be with us in the presence of your Spirit for the reading and hearing of your Word and the preaching of teaching of it as well, that you would move me, your slave, out of the way so that you, the Master, would be magnified and glorified. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, as you heard, we are starting a new series this morning on the book of Revelation. And I want to make clear that it is Revelation, singular, not revelations, not multiple. There aren't multiple revelations in the book of Revelation, but there is one singular revelation. And so if you have your Bible with you, or if you want to grab a pew Bible to follow along, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 1. And before we read chapter 1 together, I want to actually read you a verse from chapter 1, and it says this in verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep the things which are written in it, for the time is near. This is the only book in the entire Bible where a specific blessing is given for the reading and hearing of it. And so as we work through this book of the Bible over the next, don't be intimidated, five months, but it is a, it is a deep and dense book, and I want us to take our time in it, not rush through it and skip something or leave something out. But we're going to read it from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 22, verse 21. So by the end of this five months, we will have read every single word and verse that it is found so that we can fulfill verse 3, which says, Blessed are those who read it and who hear the words of this prophecy. And so be encouraged by that this morning as we begin our journey through the book of Revelation. And so hear the word of God this morning from Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his slaves the things which must soon happen. And he indicated this by sending it through his angel to his slave John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the witness of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep the things which are written in it, for the time is near." 
John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you in peace from the one who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the might forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see, even him, those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the witness of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, write in a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. And his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze. When it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and having in his right hand seven stars, and a sharp two-edged sword with which comes out of his mouth, and his face was like the sun shining in its power. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not fear. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Praise be to the Lord Jesus for this revelation given to us. This is actually my favorite book of the Bible. And I know for many people, they think this is the most intimidating, scary, and I don't even know where to begin book of the Bible. And in fact, the reason that we are doing this is because one of you wrote on a Hungry for Answers card, why do churches never talk about the book of Revelation? And I was like, 
That's a great question. We're going to do it. And so here we are. You can thank one of your fellow body of Christ uh, for leading us to the book of Revelation uh, for this time. But I am excited because I think oftentimes we think of Revelation, we think scary things. We start thinking about end times and how soon are they? Can I look around and see the sign of the times and around me? Is he coming tomorrow? Is the tribulation something that I have to be worried about or concerned about? Is there a rapture? What does all of this mean? And does Revelation give me any insight? What is Revelation really about? And so that's my hope over the next five months as we start reading the book of Revelation, we start unpacking what is this book about? What is it actually revealing to us? And how do we, as the people of God, respond to what is in its contents? And so let's begin with that first question. So what is it? What does it mean that it is the Revelation? Why is this book called the Revelation, right? Well, let's start in verse 1, and that's how we're going to approach this morning, is we're just going to kind of walk through some of these verses in chapter 1 and unpack them a little bit. Well, the revelation actually comes from the very first words in chapter 1. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, revelation actually comes from the word apocalypsis which is Greek and oftentimes gets transliterated into what we know as apocalypse. And so oftentimes when we hear apocalypse, we start thinking of Armageddon in this great battle, and we think of the end of the world and fire falling from heaven. And that's, I think, why this book becomes so intimidating to, to us, because our minds immediately go to the Hollywood drama of what is an apocalypse, But quite simply, apocalypse, as we translate to revelation, means the revealing of things that were once hidden. So God is unpacking things that were once hidden to us. He now wants to reveal to us. He wants to make them known to us. And so the revelation is a revealing for us, his people, about things that have happened, soon will happen, and will take place, right? And so, in a way, we are reading a revelation of Jesus Christ, a revealing of that which was once hidden. But there's also something to keep in mind while we also think through this entire book as we go through it. Apocalypse, as we think about it as a literature format, such as apocalyptic literature, is by nature, highly metaphorical. And so as we work our way through this book, there is a ton of metaphor. And so we cannot read this book and take it as all literal. We can't be like, oh, there's going to be a literal dragon that comes out of the sea, right? No, we have to Imagine what is the metaphor that is being prescribed by Jesus in the context of what we are reading. And so as we work through, we're also going to unpack a lot of the metaphor that we end up seeing in this revelation as it relates to apocalyptic literature. The second thing to understand about revelation is it's not just a revelation. It is also prophecy. 
In verse 3, we even read that it is blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. It's a prophetic text. And prophecy, as we've talked many times recently among the church, is that prophecy is meant for encouragement and comfort. We give a prophetic revealing to others as an encouragement to one another. Prophecy can also mean truth revealing. It is revealing a certain truth to the church, a truth that we need to stand on and believe in and work through. And to an extent, it is some future telling. It's not all future telling, but there is a prophetic nature of there are some things that are to come to pass that need to happen before the end comes. And so, in a way, this is also prophetic in that nature. But overall, the basis for prophetic text that this is, is that it's an encouragement and a comfort to us. And so I want us to first approach it with that in mind, that as we read Revelation, we should find comfort in its texts, not fear. And then the last thing is that it's a letter. This is actually a letter written to the church. It says in verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. So he is writing down everything that he is seeing and sending it to the churches for their benefit, that they would profit from it, that they would respond to its contents. And so with that in mind, we want to approach this book as both a revelation that is revealing hidden things, prophetic in that it is bringing us comfort and encouragement and hope, and that it is a letter, so it is intended to be read by the church so that they know how to respond in their time of need. And so that, that's overall what it is. That's what this book is, the book of Revelation. But as we continue, who is it of? So what is this revelation about? Why is it important that we even read it? And what is its contents? Well, let's go back to verse 1. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I want to focus on that of Jesus. And I think that can mean three things. First, that is a revelation about Jesus. It is a revelation about Jesus. And so as we read it, I believe that the book of Revelation is written to reveal the hidden mysteries of who Jesus is to us as the ruler that is seated in heaven and the ruler who will come again at the consummation, uh, at the last days. And so we get to see the things that were once hidden about who Jesus was once he ascended to heaven, they're now being revealed to us through this book. And so when the first thing I want us to think about is that this is a Christ-centered revelation that reveals information about who Jesus is. In fact, if we go to verse 4 or verse 5, we see that it says that it is from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us 
by, from our sins and by his blood. But right before it gives us the information about Jesus, in verse 4 it says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from the one who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And then it tells us about Jesus. There's a little backwards in its presentation. Usually throughout all of Scripture, it's presented Father, Son, and Spirit. But in Revelation, we see it revealed as Father, Spirit, and Son. And the reason that it finishes with Son is because the, because the Son, Jesus, is the crux of the entire Revelation. Everything hinges on what we know and believe and is revealed about Jesus as we go through this text. The next thing that we can think about is not only is it a revelation about Jesus, it is also a revelation to Jesus. It is a revelation given by God the Father to the Son. Revelation, or chapter 1, verse 1 goes on to say, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his slaves. And so it is not just about Jesus, it is also one that has been given to Jesus from the Father. If we recall, as we read through the Gospels, we heard, have heard many times where Jesus says, nobody knows the hour in which the end will come, not even the Son only the Father. And so even Jesus doesn't know when the end is come. This is setting up the, the personhoods of the Godhead. But here, the Father is revealing a little bit about what the end is going to be like to Jesus so that he can then reveal it to his children. And so this isn't just about Jesus. It's not just to Jesus it's also a revelation from Jesus. We start to see this working of, of how God and the Father and the Son and the Spirit all with us work together. And so it's also the revelation of Jesus which came from God so that then Jesus may then give it to his people. And so it's also from Jesus and so we're seeing how Jesus is actually the central part of the entire revelation. And so as we work through it, again, we have to put the, the, the revelation in context of knowing that it is Jesus that we should be remembering at every twist and turn. It is all about Jesus. And as we continue to work through chapter 1, we're going to see more of that revealed and how we begin to see Jesus for who he is in his ascension. And so that's not just what it is, but who it is about or to or from. But then we get back to, again, why should we read it? Verse 3, we've already talked about this because it blesses us. It's the only book of the Bible that we can read, and it actually carries a blessing for its reading and its hearing. And that should be encouragement to us, because it's very rare that you can just pick up and read any book and be like, I was blessed by that. But as we pick up Scripture, it begins to bless us more and more and more, but particularly as we pick up the book of Revelation there is a particular blessing that comes from its reading. 
It's, it's, it's a book that is meant to open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to a greater glory of who God and the Son is than any other book of the Bible can probably do. Because it begins to reveal to us the very mind of the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. And so that is a tremendous encouragement. But I think even more, as we think about how we become blessed through the reading of this book, it also says that we don't just hear the words of this prophecy, but we keep the things which are written in it. We have to not just hear them, we have to respond to them. And I think I've been talking about this a lot as, as we are a church. In fact, just two weeks ago when I talked about obedience, we understand from John chapter 14 that Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will keep, actually it says, you will keep my word. You will keep my word. And here we are told again, if we keep this word that is written in it, we will be blessed. And then if we go back to John chapter 14 and 15, what is the blessing that comes out of obedience? Well, John 15 chapter 11 says, I tell you these things so that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be complete. The ultimate blessing of receiving the word of God and keeping it is that we would find joy in him. The chief end of man, as written in the Westminster Confession, is that we would glorify God and enjoy him forever. I actually like how John Piper kind of reimagines that uh, idea. He says that the chief end of man is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we find our joy in God alone, he is glorified and magnified in our lives more than he would ever be glorified and magnified. Because people begin to see what a joy it is to believe, to trust, and to obey in a God who is both our Father, our Creator, Almighty, Maker of all things. And so, as we read this text, I think part of it is to push us into a deeper encounter and a deeper love of God. I really do believe that if we ever went to get, want to get to a place of obedience, it has to follow the formula of love, trust, and obey. If we don't first love God, encountering his love for us, we're never going to be able to really trust him. And if we can't trust God, then we have no reason to ever obey what he has put before us in his word. And so encounter begets belief, which begets obedience. We have to learn to encounter God. And I believe that revelation, as it is of Jesus, about Jesus, to Jesus, and from Jesus, gives us one of our greatest possibilities of encounter in Scripture. It is exciting to read this text because it opens us up to more of who Jesus is. It really does show us his heart 
for his people. And so that is how we, we see blessing flows from the reading of this book, is that we encounter the love of Christ, which causes us to trust him, which then leads us to be obedient to the words that are written in it. In fact, I don't think that can be said any more clearly than if we jump down to verse 5, and it says, this is a greeting from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us. To him who loves us. Jesus has an immense and intense love for us. So much so that his love released us from our sins by his blood. Jesus loves, releases, and then we cannot forget this because I think oftentimes we overlook the fact that he didn't just love us and release us. He also then made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to be glory and might forever and ever. The gospel, I think oftentimes, and I think I've failed sometimes to bring it to the fullness of what it is, the gospel message isn't just that Jesus came, lived a life we could not live, paid a debt we could not afford through his death on a cross and by his blood, and putting death in the grave was raised to new life so that we would be forgiven of our sin, right? But there's one more step, so that we would be made into a kingdom people. God doesn't just call us to be saved people. He calls us to be kingdom people, to be people that would live under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Going back to, again, this, this obedience to who he is, the reading of the word and keeping it. But notice, in, even in this scripture, it doesn't say we become a kingdom first. It says we encounter his love first. And in encountering his love, we believe that he has released us from our sin by his blood and then makes us to be a kingdom, priests to God the Father. What an inworking that Revelation in just a few verses has unpacked so much richness as to who Jesus is in our lives. And how much he desires to be a part of our lives. Jesus wants to be in relationship with you and with me. He doesn't want us to simply receive salvation in him. He wants us to live life with him and for him. In greater understanding and knowledge of who he is. That's the purpose of the revelation. And so as we begin to work through it, we're going to see it every area how Jesus wants to go deeper with you. He wants you to experience better. Because when he calls us to obedience, he's calling us to obedience because he knows obeying him is the best thing for us. It's the best thing. In fact, I, I know that my version of uh, the Bible actually uses the word slave. Many of you are probably reading along and it says servant. We have sanitized the translation 
because the word slave doesn't resonate well in America. But the truth and the reality is that we aren't just called to be servants of Christ. The literal language used in the Greek is that we are slaves to him. We recognize Jesus as our master. We're willing to give up fullness of control to him to say, Jesus, do with me what you will. And I will be obedient to it. And the reality is, I think oftentimes we think being slave to Christ means that we have no freedom of will. But the reality is a freedom to Christ is the most free we will ever be because without Christ, we're actually a slave to sin. And being a slave to sin is a slave to death, not to life. Jesus, like, if you, if you pledge yourself to me, look, you're going to be as free as you've ever been and enjoy life like you've never enjoyed it. You will find satisfaction in God that is unsurmountable to any other idol that you could place in your life. And as you become more joyful of, of your relationship with me, you will glorify me and magnify me, and more people will want what you have because they won't be able to comprehend it. It's like they're living in darkness and you're living in the light, and the darkness could not comprehend the light. Who would have thought? And so as we keep working through this passage, I love verse 7. I've, I've focused on this word before, but it says, behold. Anytime we see behold in the scriptures, it is like a giant neon sign flashing before us. Hey, pay attention right here. Look, look at me. I got something to say. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Yes, amen. Behold, church, look right now. Jesus, I want you to see me. I want you to notice me. I want you to have understanding. There needs to be an urgency within you. Here's the interesting thing about reading about end times situations, about consummation literature within the Bible, right? The end times is always listed as coming soon, as something that is drawing near. But we don't really know when that time will be. There is no set time or day. For all we know, that day is tomorrow, but the reason that the literature uses that language is because it's asking us as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, to live in urgency that that day might be tomorrow. He wants us to live as if every moment could be the moment he comes back. And so why wouldn't we be doing all that we can to share the good news? And here's the thing, when Jesus comes back, you could say that it's in contrast to his first coming, which was a little bit co covert. He came in the form of a babe, born as a man, right? Like, grew up. It wasn't until his 30s that he started his ministry and started revealing who he was. But it wasn't some flashy neon sign. It wasn't a big behold moment. But when he comes back for the second time, it's going to be flashy. 
It's going to be overt. There is nobody on the earth that will not know that he is who he said he was and who he said he is and who he said he will be. He is coming and nobody will be able to deny it. And so we need to live in the urgency that there will be people that will see him coming on the clouds, see who he is, but at that point it might be too late. Let's be an urgent people that are so in love with Jesus and so in love with people that we share our love of Jesus with the people that we love. It is loving to share Christ with others. It goes on to say, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, I realize it's already noon. Uh, Like I said, it's wordy. Don't count this to be an early release day. Um, But here's what I want us to get to. Real quickly, let's kind of move down to that last part, this vision of the Son of Man. So John starts writing, and he says that he sees Jesus among seven lampstands, which is among the seven churches. Seven is a very important number, and we're going to see it come up lots of times In uh, Jewish apocalyptic literature, seven is the number of completion, the number of perfection, the number of fulfillment. And so when we see seven, like when we saw the seven spirits, it's not there are seven different Holy Spirits. It's that the Holy Spirit in that moment was present in his fullness, in his perfection, and in his complete power. And so when we read the seven churches, Yes, there is a seven little literal churches that Paul writes to, but those seven churches represent the completeness of his church, which means throughout all time, every church can benefit from what the revelation reveals. Every church has something that they can glean from what Jesus is speaking to those seven churches in particular. He's speaking to every church church throughout all time. So we all have something that we can glean from these letters to the churches. What else I want you to notice is that he is among them. He's among them. Even when the church has lost its faithfulness in him, he has never lost his faithfulness to those churches. Jesus is among the seven lampstands. Jesus is among First Presbyterian. Jesus is among our brothers and sisters at First United Methodist, at First Baptist, at Christ Chapel, at City Church. Wherever his church can be found, he is there. And even if the church loses its faithfulness to him, he has never lost his faithfulness to his church. And so we as a church can be encouraged beyond encouragement that Jesus has never left us, nor forsaken us, nor abandoned us. No matter what ebbs and flows we see as a church and as a congregation, it is okay. Because he is with us. He has not left us. And I'm going to end there. 
because that's just too good. But I encourage you to go back and reread verses 12 through 20 and see the glory and magnificence of Jesus in the revelation. Because when John turns around to see who spoke to him, he falls flat on his face. Encounter leads to belief, leads to obedience. An encounter is not something you have once. It is something you have over and over and over and over again. This is the same John that walked with Jesus, that saw Jesus raised from the dead, that saw him ascend into heaven. That same John is now writing, while in exile, worshiping the Lord, Jesus appears and he still falls flat on his face before him. Encounter leads to deeper belief, leads to greater obedience. Encounter Jesus as we read this revelation. Open your heart to receive more and more of what he wants to offer to you throughout this season as we walk through it. Good and gracious God, I thank you that uh, even in my wordiness, in my length, that you've given grace You give so much grace so that we can see and read the goodness of who you are in Revelation and that we would, as we unpack this, we would see more of your heart toward us, your people, because the revelation is about you, it is to you, and it is from you. And there is nothing we want more than to know more of you. You are Jesus, and everything about our faith hinges on you. And so good and gracious Lord Jesus Christ, we love you. Amen. Amen.